last Sunday. This is the rest of the story. And uh, as we hear these words, hear these in the context that God has asked us not to show partiality. James chapter 2, verse 2, For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. This is the Word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. You may be seated. This passage is one of those that will mess with you long after the message, I promise you. As a matter of fact, if it doesn't, play it back because you didn't listen. <laughs> and and I, I say that in all sincerity, but also with, with the awareness that if you grasp a hold of what James is saying in this section, your life will dramatically change for God for the better. Now, I want to share with you a little bit about their culture at that time. I don't know if it's true this time, but at that time, there was a distinct class of people, wealthy, another distinct class of people called the destitutely poor. And then there was another class in between them that, that actually worked and had some living and, and things like that. And in this passage, we're talking about the destitutely poor and the extremely wealthy. Two extremes. Now, I want you to hear in this very second verse, the first one I read to you, that it says that if someone should come into your assembly. Now that word assembly is house church. They didn't have uh, churches like we have nowadays. But he's writing this to the group of people who worship together Jesus Christ, who are Christians, who at this time when he's writing this, are under constant attack by the Roman authorities and by the temple for trying to, uh, if you will, be insubordinate to their ways of doing things. So they had to be secretive. Yet, it so happens that every now and then, someone of a very low stature and someone of a very high stature would come into the assembly and they were treated differently. Now, I want to explain to you that this uh, low stature means a person who doesn't even have uh, income or a way to provide for themselves. When we're talking about those who are either the widows or the orphans, we talked about those a few weeks ago, or those who are um, without home, homeless, if you will, uh, no place to stay. And the wealthy, this is the ones that we don't understand real well because we think wealthy, we think of people who have a lot of money. But their understanding of wealthy was a little bit different. And I want to share that with you. 
what they see as the wealthy and the way the wealthy were then were those who could offer favors, who could offer you social status, who could offer return for uh, reciprocal actions. Now, they were the kind that would walk in and they, by their own demeanor and their own understanding of themselves, would demand people to pay attention to them because they would consider themselves better than others. And when they'd walk in, they'd walk in with an air about themselves of you better treat me right or you're going to be sorry. You understand that? They're walking in with pompousness, with I'm better than them attitudes, and it's because they have money and they have social status which gives them great power in the world around them. And so, if they walk into your assembly and you do not do what they want, they are going to basically destroy your assembly. They will expose it. Or, they will privately take you and defame your name and so you don't work anywhere or have any social favors anymore. These were the well-connected who made sure that the, shall we say, political system of the day kept moving. And so, these are the people you're supposed to do nice things for so they don't do bad things for you. The problem is, is you don't know when you've offended them. And so if they're in your assembly and you've done everything right, but they see something they don't like, like a poor person sitting in the wrong place, or you've given them status, they are not going to be happy. And you don't know that. But you'll find out later because they'll defraud your assembly or your name or something like that. And you might say, well, you know, that's just the way it is. But that isn't the way it is. Because back then, those things called honor were the most important thing you could have. Honor was more important than wealth. Honor meant that you were in good social standing and that you could have a good name in the community and that was more treasured than all the treasures of the world. Why? Because once you're dishonored in that society, you're an outcast. And so you didn't want this person who could give you that shame rather than the honor to do that. And so now all of a sudden you have this pressure. It's called a social pressure from the world's standards that you have to do something to line up with a person who may or may not line up with you. They may not line up with what you believe, but they've come to check you out. To check to see if you are genuine and if the faith of Christ is real. And here they come into the assembly and they got gold rings. There's your good example. Multiple rings. Fine apparel. And also at the same time, a poor man in filthy clothes. And, and the poor man is expecting poor treatment. And the wealthy man is expecting good treatment. According to the world standard, that's how it goes, right? And, and it says, if this person should come into your assembly, these folks, what are you going to do? What have you learned? Now I want to share with you that in our lives, we learned how to relate to the world around us from those around us. We were taught how to treat people. How to talk to them. Whether to respect or not respect. 
to have favor or not favor, to have a prejudice or not a prejudice by the world around us. I grew up in a world where I didn't even know prejudice existed. And one day, someone said, did you know you're hanging out with a black kid? I said, well, yeah, I know his skin's different, but what about, what do you mean? And I, I didn't understand that because I didn't know that I was supposed to see him differently. I saw all kids in my class the same at the time. And then people said, don't you understand? He's, he's not white. And I'm going, I, 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 don't, I didn't pay attention to that until you told me to. And, and that was surprising to me because I grew up in an environment where everybody was treated the same. Or at least that's what I was taught to do. And so in your environment, you may have had people around you, whether it's your family or friends or uh, even your parents or grandparents, pass on a generational understanding of work, of relationships, of social status, and of how to handle finances. Those four things. And maybe your faith is a fifth thing. And those things were passed on to you and they go from generation to generation to generation. Attitudes, perceptions, and ideas about life. Those things are a given. And society, as it changes and transforms and our society becomes more, uh, more immoral, less moral, we find that we are relaxing high standards more and more from generation to generation. Back in the early 1900s, divorce was a taboo word. And, a, and, a, and an illegitimate child was considered a social outcast so bad that people would move away from where they were to another state to avoid embarrassment. How do I know that? Because my oldest brother was a victim of that. His mother moved to another state to avoid embarrassment of being an unwed mother. Interesting, right? But nowadays, that happens, you go, well, you know, it happens all the time. It's kind of commonplace. Our moral fiber is disintegrating in our country. Do you believe that? It is. And what's sad is that our churches are beginning to adopt some of the moral fiber of the culture rather than the moral fiber of Christ. We're beginning to change things one for another because well, it's, you know, it's fair, it's human rights, it's justice rather than it's Scripture and it's holy and righteous. And, and we begin to trade, as it says in Thessalonians, the truth of God for a lie. And so no wonder our churches have no power. It's because we have no faith that God will back His Word up. And that is saddening to me. But we learn how to relate to those around us. We didn't learn these things from Jesus. And when Jesus says, love one another, we go, yes, but. And then we fill in our reason why we don't have to. And why we don't have to treat people the same. Well, society says, if this person comes and I treat them different, you know, my assembly will be gone and the church will be gone and, and we won't be able to worship. I'll be thrown in jail, might be martyred. This is the time of the first century Christians now thinking like this. And I'll be martyred and just because I didn't show this guy favor and I did the other guy. And you can't reason with them. 
Because they expect to be treated that way and demand it. And if you don't, they will respond in kind. That's true. And that's what they knew. And so, they're walking this tightrope and they're falling off. They're either showing favoritism to the one or the other, or they're impartial, and either way, there's going to be a problem. And yet, they're basing it on their own safety and the safety of their own assembly and the safety of their families and reputation. And when you start there, you don't end up where you're supposed to go. Why? Because the way we relate to people should be taught to us and is taught to us by Jesus Christ. By the Holy Spirit living within us, not by the world's standards or people's opinions. But we've become a codependent society that's very concerned about what people think of us. And what they think of our... What's the first impressions and the impressions of who we are and how we are. A long time ago, when I first started preaching... I'd always listen to people at the door say what they would say about the sermon. And if they said good sermon, I'd go, yeah, I really knocked that out of the park. But if I felt like I'd laid an egg from the pulpit that day and they're going, good sermon, well, I must not have been as bad as I thought. But it was other people's opinions rather than me going, God, I did the best I could. Thank you for allowing me to do that. And humbly accepting that rather than someone else telling me whether it was good or bad. Over time, I wouldn't say I got calloused the more I've learned that God is going to share with me what I need to say. And if I say that, He'll say, well good, well done, good and faithful servant. And if other people say, you know, I didn't like that, what you said, I'll go, hey, probably a good thing. You hurt me today, preacher. Good. That was God. I'd rather please God and say His truth than make you comfortable. Truthfully. Why? Because Jesus may have been in this world, but He was not of it. He was in the same world, but He wasn't from it. And what He taught us was not how to fit in. He taught us how to expand the kingdom by standing up for something the world doesn't understand that maybe they would say there's a better way because their way leaves them in despair. If you look like them, they'll think that your answers are the same as theirs. If you talk like them, they'll think that your, your walk and your faith is just as simple as theirs is and not necessary. There is a difference when Jesus Christ resides in you. There is a difference when the Holy Spirit is alive within you and you have the ability and the giftings of the Holy Spirit to transform lives around you. They don't have that. And we don't think we do because we think like the world thinks and believe that the world should approve of us. So we show partiality to the world over the kingdom of God as well. And I believe God looks at us and goes, How long must I put up with you, O unfaithless generation? Just like Jesus said to the disciples when they cried, in the boat that was about to go down because of the wind and the waves and even said the boat was full of water. And he still called them faithless generation. Wonder why? 
And I'll tell you why. Because we look at our circumstances and the world around us first. Why? Because we have been taught that that's how you live life. And that has been unhealthy for the kingdom of God. We have to learn a new way to think, a new way to relate, a new way to respond to this world around us, and we haven't done the hard work. Why? Because no one told us that it was necessary. They only said love one another, and they never said what that entails or how to do that. We've never gone deep into the Word of God and said, oh, change me, O God, to line up with Your Word. This is how I do that. Instead, we said, let's ask Jesus, let's pray about it, let's read the Bible, but no concrete tools. The book of James has given us concrete tools. And I don't like it. Because it means if I don't do it, for me it would be sin. That's what he says in verse uh, further down. But I want to share with you this question. And this is the basis of your belief and of this passage. Do you believe that the kingdom of God has the same hierarchy rules as this world? Do you believe that the way heaven is structured is the same way when God looks at this earth and sees that the wealthy have the power and the poor do not, that God goes, yeah, that's how it is up here. Good job, world. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then that's why your faith is the way it is. But if you don't believe that, it's why you have confliction in your faith walk. Because your belief and how to live that out, you're not sure the difference. Because you're stuck in a world that doesn't show you how. And if you don't spend time with the one to teach you how, you won't learn how. And James is trying to point out a very simple way by first of all telling us, be aware. Be aware of what's going on. In verse 3, he says, You pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and you say to him, Sit here in a good place. And to the poor man, Stand over here or sit at my footstool. And now, rather than draw a large picture, it's basically that the wealthy person had his feet up off the floor and the poor man, you were making either stand on it or sit on it in the dirt. Why? Because the wealthy man didn't want to get dirty. And he didn't care about that poor guy getting dirty as long as he wasn't. Mentality, folks. The rich man says, as long as I'm not dirty, he can be. Because we're not the same. We're different. I'm better. That's the mentality of the wealthy man who demands favor. But when he changes and becomes Christ-like, he'll say, let's both sit together wherever. You take the high place. I'll take the low. It's not hard for a person who's been downtrodden and outcast their whole life when they come to the Gospel to show favor to others. It's really hard for someone who's not used to it. Because they think they deserve it, or it's their right, or their entitlement. And he says, when you do these things, have you not shown partiality and become judges with evil thoughts? And that's the question he's asking. Do you judge between people? Do you see one is good and one is bad, one is worth your time, one not? 
One is yes, one is no. In your mind, if so, you have set yourself up as a judge over people's character and over their worthiness of God's grace through you, which you are administrating to as a child of God, an administrator of God's grace. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, God gives grace. No, God is grace. God gives love, not me. No, God is love. He moves through you. God is alive and well through you, and He moves through you to love and be gracious to one another. You are the grace of God to the world around you, or you are not. I think that's pretty simple is what James is saying. You either are or you are not sharing God's grace. And if you are not, you've set yourself up as judge of who deserves and does not deserve it. I don't know about you, but I I don't want to sit in that chair. I don't want that title. So he says in verse 5, listen. Now this listen. This listen is a good thing from James because he's saying, here's the twist. He says, listen, my beloved brethren, hasn't God chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith? And heirs of the kingdom which are promised to those who love Jesus. Haven't the poor of this world been rich in faith? And you say, wait a minute, can't the rich be rich in faith and the middle class and the other outcasts and other parts of society be rich in faith? Listen, the poor is what he's talking about, is the one who knows without grace and God and Jesus Christ's crucifixion, they have no standing. That's the poor person who realizes without Jesus, I got nothing. I can own the world's possessions, but if I don't understand without Jesus, I end up with nothing. I'm not poor in spirit. It's the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit says, by all means, take the better place. Because maybe you've never had the better place. And gives the benefit to the other person. Because they know what it's like to live without hope in this world. But they also know how to live with it. And a rich person trusts their own resources. And their hopelessness comes when they don't have any. Not because they think they don't have Christ. The faith and heir of the kingdom is to those who love Jesus. It's not the one who can give you favor. It's those who love Jesus. They have the faith that God has promised. And this is what he says in 6, but we dishonor the poor person. Yet the rich are oppressing us, dragging us into courts, setting prices, if you will, um, keeping our society enslaved. And don't they blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? That's verse 7. That's what we're talking about when I said how they do things. That they blaspheme if you don't do it the way they want. And he says, they blaspheme your noble name. They don't blaspheme someone who doesn't have a good name in society. They blaspheme your noble name. That doesn't mean I'm going to take your name in vain. It means they are starting to slander. 
and tell others that you are not all that you are. Deceitfully. And he says, if you really want to fulfill the royal law to love your neighbors yourself, you would do well. But if you show partiality in that, you will commit sin and are convicted by the law as a sinful person. Now, I have to tell you that in this book, if you don't get convicted of something in your life that's not lining up with the Word of God, you haven't read this book very good. There is in our lives areas where we all have partiality. I'm not pointing one person out. I'm not pointing anybody out. As a matter of fact, my right hand only points at me. Literally right now. But truly, every person has an area of your life where partiality exists. And if you're going, well, you know, I don't have to worry about that. I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as the other folks you've judged again. Listen carefully. This is about your side of the street. This is your relationship with God. This is your relationship with the world around you. We all mess up. We all are in need of restoration and repentance. Every one of us. We are all due a moment at the throne room of God because of this passage. To say, God, have mercy on me. Help me live the faith out better. Now you go, well, Pastor, that's kind of hard words. No, it's not hard words. It's the hard truth. It's not hard words. The words are very easy to hear. They're hard to apply because we want to be like the person who forgets what kind of person we are after God tells us. This is not me making this stuff up. You can read it there, right? But I I want to share with you that James and the Apostle Paul believe in the same Jesus. I want you to know that. So I'm going to read a passage for you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And and this is a, a powerful passage. And it's Paul talking about this. It says, Brother is going to law against brother, and that in the court before unbelievers. Now, two Christians are at odds, so they go to the court of unbelievers. <laughs> okay, now you go, well, that's how the justice system is. No, it's not. It's how this world's justice system is. You don't live in the same world as this justice system. You live in a higher justice system. Two believers bring it before God and the church, not a court of civil un. Christian people. You don't take spiritual matters to a a carnal court or two believers to a carnal judge. You go before one another, before someone in the church. That's how it was supposed to be done. We changed it because the world changed it and we stripped the church of its power because we think, well, the church shouldn't decide on these matters because the law says this. And we put the law above the law of God and Christ. But, that, but, but then everything would be different. Yes. Yes. In the church it is different than the world. If it's not, we got a problem in the church. So it says, believers are going to court against each other before an unbeliever court. And it is already an utter failure that you go to law against one another. Why not rather accept the wrong that's been done to you? Oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. Because that's an injustice. 
And, 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 you know, and they've hurt me and defrauded me. So, and since they said that and done that, I need to sue. I need to get back what they've done. You know, this is what our minds say. And he says, why do you not rather let yourself be treated? Because the world says that's not how you do it. That's why. Someone says something bad about you. You want to find out why and go back and say, you need to make this right. No. The church says you forgive. You forgive the one who's injured you. Every time. Oh, but that's so hard. No, it's not hard. What's hard is trying to live like the world when you don't live in it as a believer. That's hard. Trying to act like the world and your faith inside is going, but I feel so inconsistent and no power in my life because you're still trying to walk by the world's standards. Are you in the same world as everybody else? Yes, but you're not the same kind of person when Christ is in you. Do you understand that? And he says, so let yourself be cheated. No, rather you do wrong and cheat and you do this to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, fellow believers are now getting back and taking revenge and manipulating and speaking bad about other believers. I read in the Scripture one time, touch not thine anointed. And I always thought that meant you can't say anything bad about a preacher. It doesn't say that. The one who's anointed is a believer. And so he goes on to say, don't you know that unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. There's that James word again. I'm still in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, don't be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners are going to inherit the kingdom of God. None of them. And such were some of you. But, and here's the transformation. If you ever need a verse, this is it. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified and you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You've been washed, justified, and sanctified from that junk. The world can say, well, He took my uh, possession. You don't need it in eternity. Why not let yourself be rather wrong? Because it was against the law. (laughs) You you, you get how we think? It's so unnatural to the kingdom of God, but so natural to the world around us. The church and the people inside ought to act and talk a little different than the world because we are. Genuine faith transforms you. And God keeps telling me we got to restore back to the original faith that He called us to in Scripture. The way James is talking about. And no, it doesn't always come across easily. And it doesn't come across as something that seems like, uh, well, I'll just, you know, okay, I'll just do that. It's not that simple. It's rather you first of all have to realize that part of the problem is the way we think. And the way you think. The way I think. And we have to guard our thoughts. And if we don't know what our thoughts are supposed to line up with, it's because we don't know what we're supposed to line up with. Because we haven't spent time in it. Everything about how to think and love is in here. And the world's going to teach everything but this. 
And I'm sad to say that, but I promise you Jesus died to give you a better life. An abundant life. One full of love and peace and mercy and grace and forgiveness and all the power of God moving through your life. To me, that's, that's worth it. And in just a few moments, we're going to take Holy Communion. And folks, I, I don't know about you, but I learned something a, a while ago when we were sharing communion together one Sunday morning about what it means to take communion unworthily and to make it worthily. And the uh, simple way to say that is, if you think you belong at that table because who you are, you're mistaken. You belong at that table because Christ invited you. There is no other way to get there but by invitation. But you go, well, I, I'm going to take communion because that's what I need and that's what I want. No. You're not worthy to even untie His shoestrings. But He's invited you to partake of His body. We take that way too lightly sometimes, don't we? Sure we do. This morning I'm going to ask you not to take it too lightly and say, Jesus, I've done nothing to deserve this but wrong. And I've sinned once in my life. I've broken your entire law. And yet you've invited me to you. Because of who you are, not because of who I am. Not because of what I've done, but because of what you've done do I come. Because of what I've done, you had to give your life for me. Ransom. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I ask you to pour out your Spirit upon us scattered here and upon the fruit of the grape and the bread for us. It would be for us the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that we would be the body of Christ. Heavenly Father, it is so true that we have been partial and not sharing Your Word and Your Kingdom with holy respect, but rather we've come and taken it for granted that we can come because we want to. But Your Word says we come because You've invited and this morning, Heavenly Father, as we come, I ask that You would pour out Your Holy Spirit in a new way of restoration, of healing, and grace. So that we might find peace in our hearts, joy in our lives, and forgiveness in our world around us. For Heavenly Father, we have not lined up with Your Word. Rather, we've lined up with the world. And it tells us clearly we are in the same world as this world and living like it. So I ask you to forgive us. Help us to repent and come to your table knowing what you've done for us. Amen.